My guest on the show today is Dr. Anome Scott Umwakpur. Anome immigrated from Nigeria as a child. He played college basketball, earned a doctorate in mechanical engineering, and he recently founded his first company, Hyphen Innovations, a firm that develops new advanced aerospace components for the DoD and other clients. In high school, Anome was an average student. He wasn't in honors classes. He took pride in being able to complete his math assignments a half hour before they were due. He scored a 19 on his ACT. The only subject he had any interest in was fine art. In college, he realized he had a passion for engineering, but he says that one of the keys to his success as an engineer is using the creative approaches he embraced as an artist. In today's podcast, we talk about how you can apply the artistic part of your brain to solve technical problems. This is Swarfcast, the show that helps professionals in precision machining excel in their careers. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Anome Scott Mwakpur, founder of Hyphen Innovations in Dayton, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Anome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so just to start, I want the two-minute explanation of Hyphen Innovations, um, and, and then we'll, we'll get into more of it later. Just a real brief overview. Okay. With Hyphen Innovations, what we do is we make aerospace parts. Uh, we make them lighter. We make them uh, stronger. We make them low cost. And we do that with unique out-of-the-box design. And we also use uh, some uh, uh, really intriguing advanced manufacturing methods. What kind of aerospace stuff? Specifically to aerospace, uh, our main interest is turbine engines and uh, turbine engine structures. And when I say turbine engine structures, uh, we normally focus on the three to four main structural sections. So their compressor section, turbine section, shaft, uh, looking at some uh, unique combustor design. And the reason why we're focused on the turbine engine is because that we know that there's still a lot of innovation. There's still a lot of uh, juice to squeeze out of that technology and improve the thrust to weight, so to speak, and do all that while also maintaining uh, affordability with it. 
I want you to back up a second. Um, give me the dumb five-year-old explanation of a, a turbine engine and what, what it's going into. So turbine engine is uh, what powers aircrafts. So your commercial aircraft, uh, a lot of them are run with turbine engines. Uh, even the propeller ones are run with turbine engine. It's just run with a turbo prop. And so a lot of turbine engines are used for aviation uh, industry, but there are also turbine engines that are used for power as well. Right. Because it's a great power generator. So we have power turbines as well. Uh, a lot of my focus has been with uh, gas turbine engines and uh, aviation. Uh, but there's obviously a lot of similarities with power generation okay. as well. Okay. So the research you're doing could be also used for other applications than aerospace? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I like to tell people is that the physics is physics, and especially when it comes to structures. Uh, you know, things that are dynamic, things that move, get hot. They need to be cooled. And if they're moving, it's better that they're lighter weight and have less friction so that it does less work. And all these things are all the same, whether it's a car, whether it's an aircraft, whether it's for power generation, whatever the case is, if you have parts that are moving, somebody's gonna want the weight to be less. Somebody's gonna want the friction to be less. Somebody's gonna look for a unique design. Somebody's gonna want uh, less manufacturing steps to make it cheaper. Uh, all, these, all these things are necessary and uh, in, in all these uh, uh, power systems. So certainly my work transcends turbine engines and aerospace industry in general. Got you. Okay, that makes total sense. All right, I want to get some of your story. You know, the thing I want to focus on in this interview that I think is so interesting is that you have a really eclectic background, you know, where you're from, uh various things you've done in the past, your interests in art. Uh, so I want to delve into that and see how this goes into the work that you do. When you were really young, you lived in a lot of places. Can you tell me a little about that? Yeah. So I uh, was born in uh, Lanton, Michigan, and uh, lived there for three, a little over three years. And when were you born? How old are you? 1978, so 44. Okay. So I lived there for three and a half years or so, and then moved to Nigeria and lived there for about six years, maybe. And that's where your parents are from? My parents are originally from Nigeria, yes, but most of my siblings were born in America. And uh, so we lived there for almost six years, and then from there moved to England, lived there for about a year, and then came back to Lansing, and that was there when I was... 10. Do you remember what it was like at all living in Nigeria? I do. I do remember. Um, but it was... Uh... Yeah, I mean, what do you remember when you're when you're seven, right? But it's interesting. What First of all, why did you go back to Nigeria? Uh, work. My dad went back to work. Uh, my dad's a medical doctor. So he went back to work and teach at the university uh, back home. And uh, the reason I was in Michigan in the first place is because he went to Michigan State. That's where he studied medicine or that's where he was a professor or both? Or? Both. Both. That's where he studied medicine. That's where he was a professor. That's where he uh, practiced and then moved to Nigeria and did the same thing there and was there for five years and 
then uh, decided to move back to the U.S. Okay, so you granted your it's until you're ten, but still, I think it does something to somebody's brain when you're living in another place, maybe speaking another language, etc. And then you grew up in Lansing, Michigan. Big sports traditions there, Michigan State, etc. And you played basketball. When did you start playing basketball, and where did that take you? Uh, I started playing when I was ten. Yeah, when I first started playing, I was I really wasn't that good. It was <laughs> How tall are you? Six seven. Six seven. Okay. And so, what's your position that you 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 played? Small forward. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in, in high school and in grade school, you know, the biggest kid out there, you always, you always put him at center. That that was a thing back then. They don't do that these days. But back then, it's like, oh, you're you're a center. Sure, Just sure. Stay, stay on a block, grab rebounds. Go bang. You know, do whatever. But, yeah. But, like, it's – as I matured, my natural athleticism, you know, kind of – had me gravitate towards small forward. So pretty much was training and playing as a small forward probably by since I was, you know, from 16 all the way through college. Okay. So where'd you go to college? Wright State. Where? Wright, Wright State? State. Okay. Yeah. And did you have any aspirations of going to the NBA or did you figure this was college was the sort of your ceiling? Everyone has aspirations of going to the NBA. <laughs> So I, not everybody, I but <laughs> everyone that plays at that level has aspirations to go to the NBA. Uh, but at some point, Wright State is division. It's division one. And... Yes, it's, yeah, it's division one. But at some point you, you uh, have a reality check and uh, you think, all right, that, that's probably not in the cards. And, and I had that reality check, but I still had aspirations of playing professionally. Mm-hmm. Because there were a bunch of former teammates that played professionally, uh, or you know, a bunch of guys I played against growing up that, pay, that played professionally, and they'd come back and they'd tell the, you know the stories of sure. playing overseas and just the, the the culture. I mean, we've talked about this before. Just experiencing the culture in Europe. You know, these guys would come back and you know start telling us about it. It's like I was like, oh, there is a place I can play professionally that is just as cool as the NBA, right? I mean, obviously not as lucrative, but just as cool. So uh, for me, it was like, well, that's... Right, and, you uh, you know, I mean, you're... That's my backup plan. (laughs) Sure, and you're African, and you are lived in England. So, yeah, I mean, that it doesn't seem like... Probably didn't seem quite as strange. What did your parents think of that being one of your goals? They were okay with it. They were okay Uh, with it. Yeah, my my dad's uh, very good at giving advice and letting you do with it <laughs> as you wish. Okay. So it's one of those things where he's like, eh, that's what you want to do. Great. <laughs> but I think you should have a backup plan just in case. Sure. And then that was it. And then you were also into fine arts, correct? Mm-hmm. So what yes. kind of fine arts did you do growing up? And, and what were you, what did you you know, might want to do when you, when you were a kid, besides wanting to be a basketball player, what, what things, you know, were interesting to you in school or later on in life? So for me, you know, when, when it came to art, it was just mainly sketching. I love to sketch. I went into high school, just mainly sketching. Then when I got to high school, you get introduced to art classes that brought in your, you know, artistic, you know, capability. All of a sudden it's, I'm, I'm painting, 
I'm using watercolors, I'm using color pencils, I'm uh, painting with pastels and painting with oils. And it was like, you know, this thing that I have been naturally good at as a kid just has expanded through to all these other uh, mediums. And it's just like, I was like, this is it. This is, it this was, is what I want to do. I it wanna, was I exhilarating. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I want to sit in one place and <laughs> paint or draw whatever it is. If I'm not playing basketball, I want to paint or draw. So um, when you went to Wright State, were you an art major? I was not. <laughs> I did, was not. Did so, you take art classes? <laughs> I did take art classes uh, because I because I went into the mechanical engineering uh, field. I, I didn't have the opportunity to draw and paint and experience those things like I used to. So I decided, all right, I'm just going to take art classes as electives. Were you also pretty good in school or, or interested in that stuff in high school, engineering, et cetera? Engineering, not so much. I didn't really physics know what it and all that. Did. <laughs> uh, I didn't even take physics in high school. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I, I took the mandatory classes. I took, it took the maths, it took the uh, languages. Right, but you were probably in honors classes and, I mean... I was not. <laughs> really? I would have... not, no. I would have... I, I was not I was. You not have good genes. Class. Your dad is a doctor. <laughs> Why do you think you weren't in honors classes? I, I didn't apply myself. Okay. I wasn't interested. And it's one of those things, you know, one of those, like, you know, kind of like self-discovery things as you get older. It's like, you know, I realize if I'm not interested, if I'm not emotionally invested in it, I'm not going to do well in it. And that was pretty much with school, with uh, with English. Your parents didn't just sort of expect it? Like, duh, you're smart. You're going to uh, honors classes. Uh, yeah, my, my dad did. Uh, he's not overbearing with his advice. He's one of those... You can do better. I'm disappointed, and just kind of walks away. <laughs> Interesting. And then it's and then it's up to you. It's like, all right, you know, maybe I can do better, <laughs> you know. But I wasn't interested in doing homework. I hated homework. I don't think I ever did homework in high school. I did homework five minutes before class. And that's just because it wasn't interesting to you. It just wasn't interesting to me. Um, math was kind of interesting, but the weird thing about math. Uh, why it was interesting to me because I liked the challenge of seeing how well I could do on homework if I did the homework 10 minutes before class. Interesting. <laughs> well, and so it was just... Uh, and did, were you able to do a decent job? I mean, I got mostly B's in math. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got, you know, I got some C's, but considering that I was doing homework, you know, five, five, ten minutes before class, I think getting a C is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was probably too easy for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're in college. You decided, what made you decide to go do engineering then, if you were sort of a slacker in high school? And I can only imagine, I mean, you know, having been to college myself, like the idea of being a student athlete and taking classes whatever. I mean, I don't know how anybody has time to do that. Like you really have to be ambitious and to do engineering that says something about you that you, you were efficient probably. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, that's, that's so what mark. made you go, I want to <laughs> do this. If you know, your interests before were fine arts and sports and now mm -hmm. you're just like, well, this sounds like a good trade. I'm going to do that or what? 
Um, so my dad, like my dad really understood me and understood what I could do and couldn't do. <laughs> and so as I was applying to all these universities, I kept, you know, putting on fine art, you know, like, you know, following my questionnaires, I was getting recruited, I was putting on fine art. And before that, I you know just taken. And the, they didn't the really AC. care, right? And they just wanted they, they just they, wanted they, you because you were six seven and athletic. They, yeah, they they prefer <laughs> you take an easier degree. No, no right? Because they because because they understand the burden, like you said, they understand the burden of what they're going to ask you to do. Particularly being a basketball player. Yeah. Yeah, you're traveling. Like, like absolutely, they understand it. So they're like, all right. If you take this major, I know those professors understand you, what burden you have and are going to be more lenient on you. <laughs> like they're like, if you go into engineering, you are on your own. I don't know those guys. I don't know those professors. That's a really hard degree. We prefer you don't take that. <laughs> you know, it's just you know, and it looks better. On but you just said so. Your freshman year, when you're trying to figure it out, you're just like, eh, engineering. Why not? Well, my, no, my dad, my dad was the one that was, you know, because prior to, you know, putting on all these, uh, you know, putting on fine on on every questionnaire, I taken an ACT and I did terribly on it twice. <laughs> terribly. Why would you get but like I, uh, 18 or 20 or 19? Okay. 19 twice. But on the math part, I got like 30 something. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which, <laughs> you know. Who gets 30 something on math but a 19 overall score right like it was it didn't make any sense and so i remember my dad you know kind of like don't like don't put fine art as, as your major that's not a major come on so he was like i'm gonna go sleep on it and i'll tell you what you should do so he was like i had a dream you should put down engineering did he use the word should yeah he said should mm, i'm anti-should <laughs> and I told him, I was like, I don't know what an engineer does. And he said, go to college and you figure it out. That's what college is for. All right. So you said, what the hell? I'll, I'll take yeah. like the pre-engineering classes. And then you thought it was kind of fun. It was easy to do. Really? I did. Yeah. Nice. Because again, again, my dad understood you know, my abilities. He knew what I could do, what I couldn't do. And he was like, eh, this guy's a slacker. Let me give him the right, you know, uh, you know, guidance to be successful. Hey, listeners, I just wanted to remind you that you can see videos of our episodes on YouTube and other social media. So if you want to see a cool tool or part that was described in the interview, or you just want to gaze upon my beautiful face, you can go to the Today's Machining World YouTube channel. You can also link directly to the videos from the episode show notes. And now, back to the show. Do you think one reason in high school you may have had lack of motivation was because you weren't in honors classes? And maybe if you were around different peers and, and pushed differently, you might have found the material interesting? Or you think it was just sort of this was the way your mind was at the time? That is a question that I often ask myself. And just, you know, in general, when I think of other people is would a challenge uh, have made me rise to the occasion or would a challenge have made me say, this is too hard. This is stressful. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And, it, and the answer to that question is, I don't know. Right. Well, <laughs> like because your brain mind. changes as you get older. So, yeah, you know, it yeah, could so, have been that. But yeah, even even still, like early on taking the math class, because 
you start off taking math classes. You don't, well, I should take, you no, know, let me rewind. At Wright State, now you, you get, you have this engineering intro class that. Where is Wright State? Dayton. Dayton, Ohio. okay. So, uh, so you have these, these classes that prepare you for being an engineer. Like, you know, you get into them. This is, this is what an engineer does. So it, it essentially is like uh, geared to spark your interest in engineering. Like, is this really what you want to do? And it ends up kind of being like a weed out class where, you know, some people get into it and decide ah, this isn't what I want to do. So I didn't have that. I went into math. You do math and you do physics and you do that for two years, two and a half years, and you jump into engineering. So I was just taking these classes that I could pass, these math classes, these physics classes. I knew I could take them. I knew I could pass them. And so I did that for two and a half years. It wasn't until I actually started taking engineering classes that I thought, huh, this is kind of interesting. But still, there were just like problems and there were, you know, there was some connection to the real world, but it was, you know, weird, you know, problem solving. Right. It, it wasn't like conceptual enough. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting enough for me to do well in. It wasn't until I actually got a job that I actually was like, I now see where all the math is going. I now see where all the physics is going. I now see where all these classes are going. I now understand uh, what they mean. Now all of a sudden you walk into a class and they say, this is vibration. And it's like, oh, no, I've been working in a vibration lab. I know what vibrations is. <laughs> this is going to be an exciting class. And sure enough, I, I got an A in that class, which was supposed to be a really hard class <laughs> and like kind of like, you know, the, the hard, it's supposed to be the hardest class in undergrad. And I got an A in that class. And you because, and you, you thought that the lab was extra interesting because you understood yeah. the theory behind it. Exactly. Exactly. Once you can make that connection, it it changes uh it changes how you work how you go through wanting to learn the subject once you can make the connection if you're just solving problems and it's like oh why am i solving this yeah well i think that's what bogs people down they're just the mechanics of it yeah and it sounds like you fortunately the mechanics weren't a big deal to you the equations you know you were you were able to just do that without as much without that much pain and get through that because that's probably what stops people in the first place from getting there do you think that the way engineering is taught in college and the way physics is taught based on all these formulas and just numbers and do you think that it it should be changed maybe people get turned away because they don't even know what the practicality of it all is if you'd asked me this question right when i graduated from undergrad i would say yes but I know that Wright State and, you know, some of the professors that I've, that I've talked to just in this area have tried to change their curriculum to be more realistic and incorporate more real world problems. Uh, so I think there are a lot of current professors right now who graduated the same way I did, essentially saying I, I got tired of doing these you no know, silly problems that didn't So you think it's a to, good thing? So, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing because a lot of the guys graduate like I did where they're like, this is dumb. I wish I wish somebody could turn this into turn these problems into real world you know, activities so that, you know, you know, kids could be more excited. And I think a lot more universities are starting to do that. That's smart. When I was a freshman 
yeah, I was just like, you know, and I wasn't bad in physics in high school, but I was just like, I do not want to do this crap. I took a class called Physics for Poets, which (laughs) (laughs) it was really cool. I bet you would have thought it was cool. You know, you learn about, you learn, you know, about Einstein and Fermi and all this stuff. And it's just, it's more, here's, here's what it was about, you know, as opposed to, you know, all right, here's some fractions. Now cancel, now cancel out the, the zero over here and the zero over here. And just like, I, I took, I took a class at Ohio state that's called the, uh, the history of math. That sounds interesting. That was the most fun class I've take I, I ever took. And it was a grad class. One of the, it's like one of the most fun, one of the most engaging classes I ever t- I've ever taken. You think if they uh, offered something like that in undergrad, that could change lives? I think so. Or even high school? Just yeah, in, in high school, definitely. Because, I mean, just learning about that stuff, just learning, like, what Isaac Newton was going through uh, during the Black Plague when he decided, you know, I'm going to lock myself up in this shed for two years. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to invent calculus and physics. <laughs> so probably if you if you had had that in high school, it would have been even you would have probably wanted to, to try harder. You would have been interested. Yeah. Like, I mean, like those stories are fascinating just because it because when it tells the history, it doesn't tell the history by giving you math theorems. It tells the history yeah. of talking about the person and what that person was going through when they when they came up with what they came up with. That's fascinating. Yeah. Versus, I mean, math. I went out with this uh, this math professor one time for a couple of months and she's like, yeah, people don't normally, people don't understand, like, the stuff you're learning in math class, it's not even math, it's arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just numbers, and numbers isn't even really what it's about. Yeah, All right. Eventually, it seems like you found more, more and more meaning in it, more and more purpose in it. It wasn't just something that was smooth, it was something that, that actually meant something to you. So then what happened after college, after you, you got a PhD uh, in engineering again. So what does one do with a PhD in engineering? Or did I skip a bunch <laughs> of important things? It, it depends on what you consider important. <laughs> did you work before you went to get your PhD? Did you work in a no, place? No, uh, I I went from undergrad to, to grad school. What's your opinion um, of uh, of that? My opinion of it is, is personal, is, is, you know, for me, I always said that if I stop going to school and I get a job, I'm not coming back uh-huh. because I hate sitting in classes. And like you, I, but I you just, thought there was something to be gained by staying in school. There was something to be gained. And also, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, uh, I so think that happens like, a lot with, with academics. Yeah, like I, like I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I got done with undergrad. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. I got offered to go to Ohio State. You know, with you know, engineering, you get stipends. Ah, it's not perfect. Like, it's not like business school where you have to pay for it. They they pay yeah, for you. Beautiful. They pay for you, and then they pay you. Which you know, uh, now that I'm on this side, it's actually cheaper labor to <laughs> to pay a grad student than it is to pay you know somebody professionally. So, but still, they pay they they pay for school. They pay they, and then they pay you, and it's like 
And what they were paying me was more money than I'd ever made. And it was enough to life. live on? Yeah, it was it was more money than I ever made. You didn't have to like, like give, give plasma or something? No. <laughs> like, it was great. I got my money and I bought a car. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes so, sense. If you don't mind school, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and one of the selling points with grad school is it's less classes. With undergrad, you're taking three, four classes a semester. Yeah. With grad school, it's like... Is grad school less of a grind than undergrad? It depends on who you ask. For mm-hmm. me, yes, it was it was it was less of a grind because I was taking two one or two classes. No, well, I, we were on the quarter system back then. I was taking I was taking one or two classes a quarter, like one class, like that's that's nothing compared to what you're doing in undergrad. And uh, you, and know, you weren't playing basketball anymore. And I wasn't playing basketball. I was taking one class and I wasn't playing basketball and. The rest of my time was uh, dedicated to doing research, which the research part of grad school was easy to me. Okay. Uh, There are some people that the class part of grad school is easy and the research is hard. So depending on who you ask, if you ask the guys who think that classes are easy and research is hard, they're going to tell you grad school is really hard. Yeah. And if you talk to guys who... You know, naturally just kind of fall into the research and hate classes, they're going to tell you grad school is easy because you don't take that many classes. You're more, you're more so focused on the research that you need to do. So for me, it was, you know, do. And you were doing aerospace engineering by this time. This was like, this well, is. Well, it, it was technically a mechanical engineering degree, but it was on uh, understanding structural assessment for uh, the purpose of uh, aerospace components. Okay. So you finally get your PhD. You've done all this research. You're a career academic. You're like mid-20s. And then you're just like, all right, now I have to like do something with this? I still didn't know what I wanted to do, which there's there's a place for that. It's called a postdoc. <laughs> all right. But you said, screw that. I'm going to like enough of this class stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I got my PhD. I had nowhere else to go besides teach, <laughs> you know. Yeah, besides teach, I had no, I had nowhere else to go but besides teach. Get a job. So then you worked for the what for the for the Air Force. Yeah, so so I actually got my postdoc. Uh, my postdoc position was with was through the Air Force. Or I should say it was through uh, the National Academies, but I was working at the Air Force base. So the same place that I worked at in undergrad, the same place that I did my uh, graduate school research is where I landed for my postdoc. So even though I was employed by somebody else, I was still doing the exact same thing I was doing in grad school. Research. Which was research. And how long did you do Uh, this research? Year and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was there a year and a half. And then uh, then after that, uh, I got converted from... uh, a postdoc contractor to a full-time civilian doing research in the same lab. Okay. And how do you feel about research? I love it. I mean, research essentially uh, allows me to, uh, to engage in the, uh, no, in, in my, my creative side. It, it allows me to essentially do art with, yeah. uh, with science and engineering. All right. Uh, I want you to articulate about that. Um, how is it getting, how is research getting you to use your, your art muscle? So 
when you think about art, it's like you're given a blank canvas to create something. Like it's, you know, and, and you know, that's kind of generalizing that obviously there are different mediums that you can use, but you're essentially creating something from nothing. You know, even when, when you're taking a picture, you're creating something from nothing. When you're writing, you're creating something from nothing. When you're doing research, you essentially have nothing. Really? Like someone is, so someone is, is essentially saying, like, I can give you an example. Is like when I first got hired, I asked my boss, I was like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, what's my job function? And he said, just keep doing what you do and walked away. That was my job. Which, what does that mean in any other profession? <laughs> like, just keep doing what you're doing. So you what know? were you doing? I mean, to me, research sounds like you're building on other people's research. So you're doing something with something. Uh, you, you're given, like, for instance, there's a turbine engine there. You're supposed to do research on turbine engine. Exactly what research are you supposed to do? You know, like there's not. So you really had to come any... up with an idea like, what can I, how can I improve it? How can I? They didn't tell you, hey, this is a puzzle we've been trying to crack. Uh, you know, there are some cases where they do that. But in a lot of cases, you have to just essentially look at this and say, what puzzle can I crack? What improvements can be made? Like everything can be improved, right? Like, so you essentially have to look at it and say, what improvements can I make? Now, the next step of that improvement, there's no roadmap for that, right? And so you have to essentially figure out where the next step is and then where the next step from that is. So as see, you're I think, adding all... I, I think, sorry to interrupt. It, it, I, I see what you're saying now. That's where the creativity comes of, you don't have the structure. You don't have, uh, here's your assignment. You have to figure out. I, I'm surprised at that. I would have figured they would have said, we need more power. We need we need <laughs> to be, you know, and you have to look at it. And, but even, even with that... Even with, even with, if, if you say I need more power, how? <laughs> like, where, where do you start? Okay, so how do you approach it, and how does it, and how does your artistic uh, muscle? So, help? so for me, it's you know, someone says they need more power. All right, well, where do you, where do you get power from? You get, you know, you can get power from, uh, from. Uh, making it easier to do work, you make it easier to do work, and you can you, you can generate more power. How do you make it easier to do work? You can increase temperatures, you can uh, increase pressures. Uh, how do you increase pre temperatures? Well, what if the material that you have is temperature is already at the limit of its temperature? How do you then increase your temperature? Well, now you got to get creative and figure out a way to increase temperature, right? And one way to get creative is by introducing uh, new cooling mechanisms. Well, how do you introduce new cooling mechanisms to do that? You have to essentially re you have to recreate the component to be to to be able to intake new cooling mechanisms. So it's kind of like, and then you get to that, and it's like, all right, well, great, I just figured it out. Then it's like, how do we manufacture this? <laughs> Right. So now that so now that's a new problem, figuring out how to manufacture this thing out of this material to have this new design to be able to, you know, incorporate new uh, cooling mechanisms. So it's like you're just each step 
you're just essentially tweaking stuff. And then once you tweak it, you run into the next problem and the next problem. And, and so a lot of what I do is, is essentially that, you know, just, you know, we look at, we're, we're looking at stuff and, you know, people are, you know, people say, we want the life to be longer. All right. Well, how do you make the life longer? Reduce stresses. Well, how do you reduce stresses? You reduce vibration. Well, how do you reduce vibration? It's like you add more material to it. It's like, all right, great. Well, you just added more material to it. Now it's going to be working harder <laughs> wow. than it was before. Now it's less efficient. So now you just made it less efficient than it was before. So now you just added a new problem. So how do you now fix that problem? How much are you leaning on other people's research for your own research? How much are you inspired by it? I mean, I've been listening to this book by Rick Rubin about art and, you know, what he says is that everything is bitten off other people, and that's that's perfectly fine. Uh, you're going to do your Anome uh, version different than you know some other engineer. I was going to say different than Noah, but I haven't come up with anything rocket science. So, is this something you do? Or are you constantly looking at other people, or are you just kind of trying to come in from your own blank slate? I, I I'm constantly getting inspiration from other people. I'm constantly looking at what other people are doing more. And even, you know, to kind of expand on that, I'm constantly looking at what people are doing outside of my industry. Nice. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, so what are the inspirations that you take it from? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> you not want to give us your secrets or? <laughs> no, no, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's a little bit of everywhere. I mean, are you, you know? watching like, like a Star Wars movie and you're you're watching the Millennium Falcon and you're going, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Uh, or watching. No. So one example I can give you. So there's so there's a patent that uh, that the Air Force is uh, is releasing to me that you no, know, I helped develop while I was in while I was a civilian in the Air Force. And the way we came up with that, we were in a meeting and, and we we're talking about laser powder bed fusion additive manufacturing and. In this meeting, everyone was talking about how it's beneficial for, you know, complex cooling passages. And, you know, they're going on and on. And it was like, you know, and uh, the guy sitting next to me tapped me and he said, well, what if we just left the powder in there and it, and, it, and it suppressed vibration? And then I laughed and he laughed and then we both stopped laughing and just kind of looked at each other like, well, what if? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And like the next day where, you know, both of us go back to the lab and we start working on this thing. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the what if turned into something. And so like, it's just, it, it can be, you know, inspiration can come from anywhere. Yes. Like it can come from people arguing in a meeting while you're sitting in the back, you know, just watching these people argue. So for me, it's just, you know, I just, I just, you know, pay attention. I'm constantly thinking, I'm constantly thinking of how I'm going to solve the problem. Uh, there are lots of problems that, that can be solved enough to keep you thinking all day. On the next episode of Swarfcast. The fail fast uh, mentality is essentially, all right, if I fail, what am I going to learn from it? And this thing that I learned from it, will it help me make this part again, run it again, and go a little further than I was just now? And if the answer is check, 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 then move forward.
From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.